I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Ricky said, my name is Chris, there it is, one of the pastors of Crossroads Church in Morgantown, West Virginia. I was born and raised in West Virginia, out Lincoln County, and got married and moved up to Morgantown about uh, 15, 16 years ago, and planted a church there about 13 years ago. And I want to send just greetings to you from the Lord and from all the saints at Morgantown who just love you, who pray for you and your pastor, uh, and for the gospel to advance here in Berkeley Springs. It's awesome to be here. My son Matthew and I were here, I think, last year, and you're meeting in the, in the school, and uh, to see the, the place that you guys have moved into. There's, there's a lot to give thanks for this year, amen? And uh, so it's, it's a privilege to be here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, so if you want to turn there in your Bible or download an app, click your way there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 49, so It's a longer section of Scripture than usual, uh, but it's a narrative, and then we'll break it into three parts. And so, here's what Luke chapter 24, verse 1 begins with. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things, the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, the other women, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad, and one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He said to them, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now it is the third day since these things happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village where they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But he urged them strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were gathered with them together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead." And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So this morning, as walking through the Apostles' Creed, we are attending to this little phrase that is of no little importance. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. This is a staggering claim. Now, if if you're a Christian, if you've grown up in the church, even if you're not, you're probably quite familiar with this idea, Jesus rose from the dead. But just pause and consider once again, this is a staggering claim. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Muslims say no. Uh, He didn't die. He swooned on the cross. He just kind of passed out. He was buried and then popped up later and said, just kidding. Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus rose, but he rose spiritually, not physically. And so his presence dwells with us, but his body remained rotting in the grave. Some of my professors in college at West Virginia State University, they taught that the disciples did shrooms. And so the resurrection was nothing more than an urban-juiced hallucination. Christians confess and have always confessed that on the third day he rose again from the dead. It's a staggering claim. 
how important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Billy Graham, he said, the entire plan for the future has its key in the resurrection. The Oxford professor John Locke, he said, our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity. He says it's so great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. Theologian John Stott, he said, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove that, Christianity is destroyed. Paul agrees. The Apostle Paul was a terrorist turned church planter when he encountered the risen Christ. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile. Everything we're doing here is useless. So we're still in our sins, and we should be pitied above all men. Paul says without this line in the Apostles' Creed being true, you and I, all Christians, are fools for censoring their lives and hope around a myth. Did Jesus resurrect from the dead? There's no greater question. And there's no greater reality. This is the very core and center of our hope. In our passage today in Luke 24, the two men on the road to Emmaus, they encountered Jesus, and if you saw from the beginning, they were downcast because they did not believe Jesus had risen. But by the end of that journey, they were persuaded. Their hearts burned within them. They were rejoicing in faith, and they were joyfully telling others. That's my prayer for each of us this morning. That we would conclude, as the disciples concluded, the Lord has risen indeed. And that this morning, you might join in their joy, in their worship, and in their all with, with the billions of Christians throughout history and from around the world who have confessed with the apostles and with all the scriptures, on the third day, he rose again. So three things from our text this morning. Uh, Luke 24 shows us proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shows us the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it shows us the purposes of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can't help it that they all start with P. Uh, I'm Baptist, it's a disorder, but they just do. So go with me. We'll start with the first one. The proof of Jesus' resurrections, verse 1 through 12. said, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, by the way, a group of women, they traveled to the tomb where Christ was buried. And theirs was a trail of tears. They were on their way to decorate a grave. But when they arrived, they discovered, verse 2, the stone was rolled away from the tomb. This was a large stone. They could not have budged it themselves. We find elsewhere it was a guarded stone. The last thing that the Roman Empire wanted was an empty tomb. But the guards had fled. The stone had been rolled away. And when these women entered the tomb, there they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they found two angels who explained to them, He is not here, but He is risen. The discovery of the empty tomb is recorded independently in six other sources, all dating to the very century in which the event occurred. Luke, whose account we just read, was a medical doctor, and he confirmed Jesus' death, he confirmed his burial, and here he confirms the empty tomb. In verse 10, the first witnesses of the empty tomb 
were women. Now, if followers of Jesus were trying to concoct a believable myth, women would not have been their first choice of witnesses. Hashtag believe women was not trending in the first century. The, the eyewitnesses uh, evidence of a woman in the court of law in the first century was utterly worthless. But here we have the account of Mary, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, as well as the women with them, all perplexed and all marveling at an empty tomb. Why is this significant? Well, you can visit Muhammad's tomb today in Saudi Arabia. It's decorated. It's venerated. His bones are still there. You can visit Abraham's tomb today in Hebron. It's decorated. It's venerated. His bones are still there. But friends, you cannot with certainty visit the tomb of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the garden tomb. Maybe it's the church of the sepulcher. I've been there, but we don't know which is which. Because early Christians never venerated the tomb of Jesus. His body was not there. The tomb is empty. Even the enemies of Jesus, the Jewish authorities, they issued a press release, you can find this in Matthew, announcing the body of Jesus had been stolen. And this confirms, historically, incontrovertibly, the tomb in which Jesus buried was empty. It was empty. Now look in our text at the proof of Jesus' physical appearances. Verse 13 through 14. Jesus himself drew near, and he went with these two men, and they walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, some Islamic scholars, they'll say, yes, the tomb is empty. Yes, Jesus was crucified. He was beaten and he was scourged. But no, he did not die. He just merely fainted on the cross. Now, the medical examiner, Luke the doctor, and the professional executioner were all wrong. He survived 40 lashes. He survived carrying the cross to Golgotha. He experienced... He survived the excruciating pain and trauma of crucifixion. He survived a spear in the side. He survived being wrapped in a hundred pounds of burial cloth and spices. He survived being buried in the tomb, all of which would require a miracle in itself. But this charge is made even more asinine in our text today when three days later, Jesus physically and in good health walks seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus with these men, giving them a Bible study in good mind. I mean, imagine walking one mile if you have a twisted ankle. He gets up and he walks seven miles. He, was di- he died, he was buried, the tomb was empty, and then he appeared physically in good health, Luke shows us, to walk seven miles. What's more, when they make it to Jerusalem, they meet the 11 disciples and those who are with them. And before these two men who've been walking with Jesus can share their encounter, verse 34, the disciples exclaim, the Lord has risen indeed. They tell these two brothers, he appeared to Simon Peter. And they're like, no way. He also appeared to us. Verse 36, while they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them. Now they thought they saw a ghost, but he did not merely rise spiritually He rose bodily, physically, materially. He says as much, touch and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And he says, while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said, you got anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. You see the detail to which Luke goes to show he took it and he physically ate it before them. This is no spirit. 
progressive Christians say, well, the resurrection was merely a psychological metaphor, that, that Jesus rose in the disciples' hearts and minds like the feelings of, of hope on a warm spring day. But this objection, Jesus does not allow. He didn't rise as an idea. He didn't rise as a spirit, but He rose physically as a man, flesh and blood, with a body, fully man, fully God. This was confirmed by the physician Luke in three different appearances to doubting individuals and groups. This was confirmed beyond Luke's account. You read 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus appeared to more than 600 others, often in large groups, once at 500 at a time, and most of whom were still alive and could corroborate the account. You could go and talk to them. The tomb is empty, and Luke shows Jesus physically appeared after his death. Now, look at the effect that Jesus had on those to whom he appeared. The women who came to the grave mourning in verse 1 through 12, they leave in awe and joy to tell others. Why? What what explains that change in demeanor? They encounter the risen Christ. The two men at the beginning of the road to Emmaus were skeptical. They were downcast. Seven miles later in verse 32, Their hearts burn within them, and they they go on to tell others what had happened. Why? They encountered the risen Christ. The disciples, they were terrified, they were startled, they were troubled, they were doubting. But by the end, they're filled with joy and with faith, and they worship Jesus. Verse 52, each of them went on to devote their lives to proclaiming the life and the death and the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ at great cost to themselves and to their families, ultimately each of them courageously gave their lives to make Christ known. What changed them from doubt to belief, from cowardice hiding behind closed doors to courage to go and proclaim the gospel, from giving up to pressing on? What explains that but seeing Christ physically risen, just as He said? Jesus died. He was buried. Luke shows the tomb was proven empty by multiple skeptical sources. Luke shows He appeared physically to hundreds of independent eyewitness believers and doubters alike. And His disciples then went from hiding in cowardice and fear to faith-filled sacrificial worshipers and missionaries all because they saw and they concluded the same, that on the third day he rose again from the dead, just as we confess. But this resurrection of Jesus Christ, it not only confirms something extraordinary about Jesus, that he's God, just like he said, that he is the resurrection and the life, just as he said, that he can be trusted, just as he said. Luke shows as well it confirms something about all of the Scriptures, that they are true that they are God-breathed, that they are trustworthy, just like Jesus said. So look now at the promise of God's Word and its fulfillment in Jesus' resurrection. Look at verse 5 through 8. The men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He is risen. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his, what? Words. 
His words. The angels told the women, remember the word of God. What Jesus promised in his word, he fulfilled in his resurrection. Look again, verse 25. When the men on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know what to make of this empty tomb. So Jesus rebuked them for not believing the word of God. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus told them, you're foolish and slow. Why? Because all the prophets promised what Christ would accomplish. And all that God promised, Jesus fulfilled in his life and his death and his resurrection. Look further, verse 44 through 45. When his disciples encountered the risen Christ in disbelieving joy, Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, I told you all that would happen before it would happen, so you would know when it happens, I'm God, and that all the Scriptures promise, I fulfill. Now, some people would say, I love Jesus, I don't love the Bible. Jesus himself says, all of the Bible, from Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, to the prophets, which include Joshua through Malachi, and all the writings, that's Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, all of the Old Testament, he said, is about me. That from the beginning in Genesis 3.15, God promised to send the Savior, the son of the woman, who would crush the serpent. God promised a prophet greater than Moses to lead. God promised a king greater than David to rule. God promised a redeemer greater than Boaz to rescue and Ruth. He promised a son greater than Israel to obey. He promised to dwell with his people to forgive their sins, to give us new hearts, to be our shepherd, to be, Isaiah shows, a servant who suffered and died, but on the third day would defeat death itself. And all that God promises, Jesus shows, he fulfilled. All that God promised, Jesus fulfilled. Paul says, in him, Jesus is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. His resurrection confirms God is trustworthy. His resurrection confirms every promise God makes, God keeps. You can read and trust every word of the Scriptures. They are good, they are true, they are trustworthy. For all that God promised, Jesus fulfills. He promised to forgive the worst, the last, the least, the lost among us through His blood. He forgives. He promised, lo, I am with you to the ends of the age. He is with us. He promised to pour out His Holy Spirit to give us new hearts through faith. He promised He intercedes and He prays for us even now at the right hand of God. He promised that all who look to Him and believe will live. He promised His gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. He promised Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He promised Revelation 22, 5, Behold, I am making all things new. 
He promised in Hebrews 10, He will judge the living and the dead at the end of the age. He promised to swallow up death forever in Isaiah, that He would wipe away every tear from every eye. He promised there is salvation in His name alone and every promise of God in the Word of God you can take to the bank because Jesus fulfills. Now, here's two immediate applications of that. Number one, don't think you're the exception. That's a warning. Like, don't think that your sin will not be judged, that you'll somehow sneak around the cross, ignore Jesus, and somehow be all right. All that God promised, Jesus fulfills. On the second application, that's an encouragement. Like, don't think that your sin is too great, that it's too late to be forgiven and restored. All that God promises, Jesus fulfills. The Lord is risen indeed. Luke shows us the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. He then shows us the promise of God fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. And then he shows us the purposes of the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 46. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Why did Jesus suffer and die and on the third day rise? He tells us, let's let's take each of these three reasons. Number one, that repentance should be proclaimed to all the nations in his name. Repentance should be proclaimed. Why? The greatest problem with our world, the greatest problem in Berkeley Springs, the greatest problem in the human heart is our relationship with God. That we have not loved God the good as we ought but we have rejected Him, we have scorned His Word, we have belittled and traded His glory, and that we have not loved others as we ought, that even those whom we love the most at times we have hurt the most in word and in thought and in deed, and we cannot fix it. We cannot out-educate our sin, we cannot medicate our sin, we cannot progress beyond our sin, we cannot outwork our sin, we can't get enough therapy to heal our sin, But the Lord has suffered and on the third day rose from the dead, he says, to proclaim that we can repent of our sin. We can confess, I am the problem, that I have personally sinned against God, and we can turn from trusting in people and ourselves to trust in the living God. We can have our minds transformed by God's Word. We can have our hearts made new by God's Spirit. We can have our lives recreated by God's Son. We can repent in Jesus' name. This good news is proclaimed, he says, to all the nations. That means that this is not merely good news for Westerners that's different in the East. This is not colonization of a white man's religion. This is colonization of the God-man's redemption as the kingdom of Christ is proclaimed to all peoples in all the nations in His name. In Morgantown, there's these signs on almost every window 
that have the state of West Virginia, you might have them here too, and they say, all kinds welcome, and usually in a rainbow. All kinds welcome. The gospel is that all kinds are welcome from all nations and all peoples and all places through the same Savior and Lord, the same Jesus, the same gospel. All are welcome to repent of their sins and rebellion, shaking their fist at God, to believe in his name and to be saved and to be changed. And that includes you. That includes me. Jesus rose, he says. The resurrection is so that repentance would be proclaimed to you in Jesus' name. Number two, Jesus rose to proclaim that there is, what does he say? Forgiveness of sins. Let that just rest on you. Forgiveness of sins. I love what we sang earlier, complete forgiveness. Past, present, future, all of our sins, everyone, all of our failures, all of our mistakes, every way we have missed the mark, where we have failed to do that which we should have done, and where we have done that which we swore we would never do that. Past, present, future can be forgiven in Jesus' name. Not belittled in Jesus' name. Not ignored. Not drowned out. Not uh, covered over. Not explained away. Not excused. Not hidden. But forgiven in Jesus' name. Jesus died on the cross so that the full penalty that our every sin merited, the, the wage for our sin, which Romans tells us was death, the cost of our rebellion, which was God's wrath against us, the result of our sin, which was the brokenness of our lives and our world, Jesus died to pay in full. And Jesus lived in his life to accomplish the full goodness the righteousness that every one of us were created and meant to live, a life of truth and virtue and faithfulness and justice without flaw, without fail, and without pause, Jesus lived for us. And Jesus rose from the dead. In this, Paul says in Romans 4, God vindicated his righteousness. Christ died like a criminal condemned, but in his resurrection God declared him to be righteous. Romans 4, 24 through 25 says, and in so doing, God justified completely everyone who repents and believes in his name, everyone whom his spirit gives life, everyone who bows their knee to King Jesus in worship and gives their life back to God in praise is forgiven. There is repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name for you. There is no forgiveness to be found anywhere else. There's no forgiveness in working harder, just do more good things. There's no repentance and forgiveness of sins in politics, in therapy, in discovering yourself, in cleaning yourself up, in religion without Jesus, in church without Jesus, in being a better man or parenting better children or in practicing, practicing spirituality without Jesus. But the Lord says there is repentance and there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name for you. There's new life for you. There's a new God for you. There's a new family for you. 
There's a new future for you. There's a new mission for you, a new way of life for you in His name by His grace and power. This is the result of the resurrection. But number three, Jesus tells us He lived and He died and He rose again for our participation. This is astounding. He says, as it is written, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed in his name. Where? All the nations. That's the Great Commission. Like, that's exactly what the apostles did. Christ ascended into heaven. He pours out his Holy Spirit, and he says, you will become my witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all the way to the hills and hollers of West Virginia to proclaim the repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And everyone who believes in his name is forgiven, is made new, adopted into his family, and made participants, made witnesses to proclaim there is repentance and forgiveness. It can be found in his name alone, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, so that we might then live no longer for ourselves, but for this city, for these people, that we would live for him who for our sake died and was raised, that they might know him. We live to make Jesus known to this city, to our families, to the nations. Jesus says in John 10, I have many sheep who are not of this fold. I must go out and get them. They will hear my voice and they will listen to me. How do they hear his voice? When you share the gospel. You open the word. Can you believe that? Like we ordinary men, women, sinners, made saints by the blood and the grace of Jesus, we ordinary men and women give witness that the Lord, the creator, the redeemer has risen indeed. And we have this promise as well, participation in the mission of God, but also participation in the resurrection of God. That just as Jesus Christ died, we are united to Christ by faith. We're united to his death, that our sins are buried. We show that in baptism. We also show that just as Christ rose, we are united to Christ by faith, so we will rise physically from the dead at his return or on the last day to forever be present with the Lord. Because on the third day, he rose again from the dead. This is the faith we confess. Now, some of you here uh, perhaps came in doubting, struggling with skepticism like the disciples. This morning, the Lord is calling you to look with Luke at the empty tomb, to look at the witnesses of his resurrection, to look at the change of life he has made in his disciples and in the billions who have come before to look to his word and repent and believe today. Like, what are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. He has lived and died and risen. He has made you. He loves you. He knows you. He has brought you here to hear his word and bring you home. Don't hold out any longer. Do you hear his voice? Bring your sin and your life to Jesus. Make things right with God today. Or some of you, uh, like, like the men on the road to Emmaus, perhaps love to talk theology, 
and philosophy and ideas about God, but perhaps you don't know Him. And in hearing the gospel proclaimed of Jesus' life and His death for your sins and His resurrection that you might be made right with God, you need to be made alive by His grace that your hearts would burn with wonder at Jesus, with faith in His name, with repentance of sin, and with love for God and for His people, that you might participate in sharing the gospel to make Him known. Come to Him. There's some of you, like the disciples who were hiding in, in terror before they encountered the risen Christ, and maybe you're afraid of the state of the, our crazy world right now. Maybe you're afraid of what others might think of you. They know you're a Christian. If you share the gospel. And with them, would you take courage? If you look to Jesus and take courage, he is risen indeed, just like he said. And your repentance and forgiveness are secured, and you have been called and empowered by him to participate in making him known joyfully and boldly. That's the right side of history. That's where things are going. That's where Jesus is taking things. We don't worship a dead God. We don't worship a vain tradition. We don't fear an uncertain future. We do not strive and worship to make ourselves acceptable to God. Jesus is alive. And the third day he rose again from the dead. In Him is repentance and forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God.